Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome back from your weekend. Uh, We're going to do something similar uh, today to what we did last Monday, which is try to help you understand, to the extent that we understand it, this huge, sprawling, 800-page, constantly mutating Russian-slash-Victorian-British novel that is the presidency of Donald Trump and the investigations into him as both a president and a candidate. Uh, There's a lot, you know, there is a lot, even if you made it a, a hobby. Uh, to keep up on all of this, you might struggle. And so uh, we're going to look at a few of the little pieces here. And and um, we're going to have like a fundraising break in about a half an hour. After that, uh, I'm going to open it up to your phone calls, too. I, I don't necessarily purport to know the answers to your questions. So try to make comments, not questions. Anyway, uh, we're going to begin by uh, talking to Ryan Goodman, founding co-editor-in-chief of Just Security. Uh, He's a professor of law at New York University School of Law and served as former special counsel to the general counsel of the Department of Defense. Uh, He and uh, co-writer Andy Wright uh, have a really interesting piece up right now at Just Security. It's also cross-published over at Slate.com. So first of all, welcome to our show. Ryan Goodman. Thanks for having me on. So as we try to process these kind of charging instruments that were presented on Friday, one of the things that you've written about, I mean, these they all have these little pieces to them. And and, and so the, the charging instruments against Michael Cohen, as I understand it, come from actually kind of two different sources. Uh, one from a U.S. attorney's office, Southern District of New York, U.S. attorney's office. Uh, the other coming, uh, as I understand it, from the Mueller team. Maybe we can start with that first one. The first one seems to focus on one of the many subplots here, and that would be the payments through Michael Cohen to these two women who allegedly had relationships uh, with uh, with Donald Trump. Can you just flesh that out a little bit? Sure. So uh, that's right in your description of the two separate strands. And the Southern District of New York Attorney's Office seems to be the one that right now, I would say, has the most uh, threatening uh, piece of the puzzle for the president in terms of uh, issues of legal jeopardy. And basically, the major issue is that these hush money payments uh, were well in excess of what could be a campaign contribution. They were unreported. They involved corporations making the payments uh, through a shell company and things like that. And uh, the issue is that Michael Cohen has pled guilty to making these payments to the two women in order to uh, benefit uh, the Trump campaign during the election. And that's critical because a very difficult piece of it for prosecutors is usually proving that intent, uh, that Michael Cohen wasn't just paying these two individuals in order to help uh, Trump's reputation or Trump's concern that his wife or family would find out, but rather that it was uh, purposefully uh, to help the campaign itself. 
and that's what makes it a federal crime and election law violation. Right. So, I mean, uh, this is something that I've been wondering about for a long time prior to all this is uh, if I were Trump's lawyers, I would be saying, well, no, we didn't do this for the campaign. We did it because we didn't want Melania to know or we didn't want anybody to know. Nobody wants anybody to know this stuff. So how do we know it's a campaign violation? Apparently because Michael Cohen said he did it for this purpose, right? That's right. Um, and uh, he also, <laughs> there, there are multiple pieces of it. So he actually bills the Trump organization. Right. At the same time, he bills them for these payments. He's billing them for other payments of like technical uh, work that he did in hiring a particular company to do something that was campaign related. Mm-hmm. So he's put it all together. Um, and I don't think it's just going to be Michael Cohen's word. There are other individuals who have apparently been given immunity to appear before the grand jury by the Southern District of New York, and they would uh, potentially corroborate uh, Cohen's statements. And one would think that the Southern District would not file this kind of um, sentencing report if they didn't have other information to back up what Cohen's saying. Right. So, um, uh, and, and so Michael Cohen is kind of the the linchpin to to both of, of these things because these are charging uh, instruments um, against him. But tell me why you think that this is. I mean, we can get to the 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 Mueller one in just a second, which uh, seems to involve more of the Moscow Tower and stuff like that. That which, to me, to my untrained, untutored eyes, to me, that's the ticking time bomb, or as Donald Trump would say, the smocking gun. Um, tell me what. <laughs> tell tell me. Why you think that the the stuff with Stormy Daniels and Carrick McDougal, McDougal, is it just because it's moving faster and it's a kind of a neater, you know, more compact case to prove? That's right. It's moving faster. We have much greater clarity. Um, the Southern District of New York has already basically told us what they think the president's involvement was in this uh, criminal scheme by making uh, very direct statements on the Friday night doc- Friday documents. Um, which included that the president had directed and coordinated the activities of Michael Cohen. Um, So that's all I mean by it in terms of what we actually have clearly out of the offices of any of these federal prosecutors. That's the clear, very specific, explicit um, statement by the federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York of the president's uh, criminal involvement in the crime. Right. And then I do think that there could be much worse uh, coming uh, down the pike from the Mueller team and the Russia investigation. And there were some sprinklings of information from the Mueller team on Friday, and that could be even worse for the president. And I do think something that was surprising to me out of those Mueller documents on Friday is that he does seem to be Mueller seems to be tracing the steps all the way to Trump. He identifies Trump's involvement with Michael Cohen's outreach to Russians, uh, which many people thought, well, could, even if Mueller proves some level of collusion with the campaign, will he actually be able to pin it on Donald J. Trump himself? There's some signs that that will happen. So let's just stay uh, for two more seconds with the Southern District of New York and and, uh, the McDougal and Stormy Daniels things. Uh, It seems to me like, once again, as somebody who just reads about this stuff as opposed to prosecuting cases, um, one of the things that jumped out at me was that notion, you mentioned payments before, that that they really had set up kind of a false narrative about payments, that there was this sort of argument that Cohen had been retained in this very general way that involved monthly payments uh, to maintain that so-called retainer. uh, And None of that was the case, and Cohen is prepared to testify to that, too. To me, that's where you pretty clearly have a demonstrated attempt to conceal something and to interfere with an investigation. 
That's right. And the creation of fraudulent documents on the part of the Trump organization and the executives who signed off on that. So I do think that one of the um, avenues that this might take is that we'll see uh, United States versus Trump org as a criminal case because you can indict an organization. And it sure seems as though the prosecutors uh, believe that the organization was directly involved in this fraudulent uh, kind of cover story for the payments to Cohen. You know, there's also, it's interesting the way some of this stuff has been hived off, to use the term people seem to be using these days, uh, to Southern District of New York, uh, but to other federal prosecutors in uh, as well. I would guess, A, the, you know, there was kind of a worry a few weeks ago when uh, when Mr. Whitaker was the acting attorney general that maybe he would shut the, the Mueller down. Well, you can't shut all these things down. But there's also kind of a way in which it takes a little of the pressure uh, that, that Trump likes to direct at Mueller off of Mueller. I mean, the acting uh, uh, U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, as I understand it right now, is a Trump appointee. It's a little harder to say that he's on some kind of vendetta. That's right. Um, So the one Trump appointee, though, is recused in the Southern District, so Trump keeps running into these problems with the people that he wants to be loyal to him having to be recused. But the Southern District, um, I think that's completely right. They are, by norms that have settled over a long period of time, quite independent from Maine justice, uh, so that the Justice Department doesn't really ever interfere in their work. So for the White House to try to do it, or Matt Whitaker to try to do it, would break all sorts of norms. Of course, many norms these days are being unsettled and disrupted, but that would be a particular firewall that I think many people inside the Justice Department would uh, be extremely concerned about. And therefore, this um, hived-off investigation prosecution has a life of its own beyond the control of the president. And I do think that kind of dovetails back into how the president and Whitaker think about the Mueller investigation, because there's a train that's left the station, and it's got the president's name on it, and there are potential criminal um, violations that look very real and threatening coming out of the Southern District of New York. So for them to even be thinking about the Mueller investigation, they might want to pay much more attention to something that's already happening. Right. So as you say, that train's already on the tracks and moving. So let's look at the other uh, Mueller document from Friday, the the Mueller document from Friday about Cohen. This does talk a little bit more about this purported or proposed Moscow Tower project. Um, To me, that's always been a source of great interest just because of the amount of money that's involved. But also there's some new things, I think, in, in the sentencing document, too. I mean, there's some reference maybe to yet another Russian state actor or something of some kind who was trying to make some kind of contact with Trump through Cohen. I mean, there's quite a bit going on there. I don't know if you had a particular thing that jumped out at you. Yeah, I think the piece that jumped out at me is the elements that come up in uh, 2015. So it puts everybody thinking about a different kind of a timeline and that, in fact, these overtures from the Russians to Cohen come in November 2015. Mm. Um, it comes from an individual who says he's deeply connected to the Russian Federation and that he wants to organize a meeting with Putin and um, Trump and uh, to have, quote-unquote, political synergy, which suggests that they want to help the campaign. And lo and behold, the only reason that Cohen rejects the overture is because Cohen thinks he already has a conduit into the Russian government uh, through Felix Sater and the, and the Russia-Moscow Tower deal. And that's everything I just said is actually in the document. Um, so this is, I think, Mueller 
telling us something, um, I would think deliberately, which is, um, lo and behold, let's think about the potential collusion and Russian interference as part of the GOP primary. We're talking about November 2015. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that kind of raises the issue for all Americans, regardless of party, uh, to think about what went on here. And in fact, there's another little data point or nugget in the Mueller document on Friday, which he also talks about, which is that preceding that overture from the Russian to Cohen in November is Cohen going on a radio interview in September saying um, that he thinks it will be a great idea for Putin and Trump to meet. Hmm. And he had previously lied by saying that there was just his own kind of harebrained idea that he thought of spontaneously, and then the Mueller document says, no, he actually came forward and told us that that was specifically planned by Donald J. Trump himself, and that Trump was trying to make an overture to the Russians. So that's September 2015. Um, So in terms of setting up the lines of communications, at the very least, this notion of political synergy, I think that it's uh, potentially quite significant in how we even just think about the political ramifications, let alone the legal ramifications. And we should say the Moscow Tower, in all of its grandeur, uh, speculative grandeur, was never built. Uh, But to me, one of the things that I'm the most interested in as we go forward, I mean, as you, I think, alluded to a little while ago, uh, Trump now has an immunity, Trump, excuse me, Mueller has uh, given an immunity deal to Mr. Weisselberg, who's the chief financial officer of the Trump organization, and I would imagine knows an awful lot uh, uh, about numbers. I have a lot of questions about where was the money coming from to build this tower, and how was money going to come back to the Trump organization? The Trump organization, although it's sort of in a trust, it's run by his sons, um, I, I, to me, I, as I, I watch this part of Mueller's investigation unfold, it seems to me, that, yeah, it's a longer game than Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. But there's an awful lot of money on the table going down the road with this story. I, I don't know if you want to comment on that. Yeah, it's. I, I do think it's a place to keep one's eye on, and it's difficult to know what all of the moving parts are or were for this deal. Um, I do think that, you know, there are various interesting elements to it, like this uh, report uh, that came out that, um, and then was corroborated by a number of media outlets, that the deal included, I think, a $60 million apartment for Putin himself, which would have been a potential illegal payoff, Um, that when Cohen reaches out to the Russians and has a conversation with a senior Russian official's um, secretary, he actually asks them for about financing. And that was actually in the original BuzzFeed story um, about the Moscow Tau deal, where they're actually thinking about financing through Russian banks, and that seems very worrisome on a number of levels. I think for Mueller, these are important questions, but I don't think that Mueller's necessarily going to go into financial crimes. He's only going to, but it's important to him to go into these deals and understand them for getting a grip on motive, um, quid pro quos, and the like that could form an understanding of the relationship between Trump himself, the campaign, the organization, and the Kremlin. So, um, Ryan Goodman, as we 
go forward. I mean, it seems to me, and you've alluded to this too, that Mueller, you know, when he does these so-called speaking indictments or these kinds of sentencing instruments like the ones that came out on Friday, he's people ask, when's the Mueller report coming out? Well, you could argue the Mueller report's coming out in installments, basically. It's more <laughs> of a serialized novel. I'm sure there'll be a, a full report at some point. But he's trying to tell a story right now because it's, a, and it's probably important at the political level of a lot of this stuff that the story be understood. It seems to me you as a journalist are trying to do a similar thing, too. This is an extraordinarily complicated and difficult story for the layperson to understand. And I note that you've done stuff like, you know, uh, JustSecurity.org offer a perjury chart, which I find very useful as somebody who's trying to keep up with all this stuff. Maybe you can say something about that. I mean, there's an explanatory journalism function that, that needs to get done so the American public understands what kind of story it's in the middle of. That's right. I think it's so difficult and dizzying. Um, and uh, many people, I think, just don't know which piece to try to track and where they should keep their eyes focused. So it's a hard set of work for those of us who are trying to translate what's going on to a wider audience and translate the kind of legal jargon and legal ins and outs to a wider audience. Um, and that's some of the task, but in some sense, this material is very rich. Uh, it does tell a narrative. There's almost a narrative arc to some of it, and the ways in which uh, I think I completely agree with you that Mueller, instead of waiting for this final report, he does seem to be filling in the different pieces of the picture. Uh, it's an incredible narrative of the Moscow Tower uh, deal in that document uh, that came out, and uh, that's part of what we have to kind of do. And it's um, it's uh, pretty incredible, the story that's being told. And I think that it's also important to kind of break through all the noise. And some of these Mueller documents are the most reliable documents and the SDNY documents in trying to understand what's not disinformation, what these federal prosecutors with a huge amount of experience have been able to document and are willing to prove in court. And I think it's also there's a burden on those of us who are trying to do the translation to be faithful to what we know and what we don't know. So just as a way of example, um, I did think that people got out ahead of their skis by saying that the uh, SDNY has accused uh, President Trump of committing a crime. Um, there are certain elements that still are required. Um, they would have to prove that Trump himself uh, made those hush money payments or organize the hush money payments to help his campaign rather than to help his own personal reputa reputation. And so we said that on Just Security to help people understand that other claims they may have heard over the weekend um, weren't exactly accurate uh, in terms of saying that they've accused him full-blown. I do think they have accused Donald Trump of directing uh, federal crimes by Cohen. So for all intents and purposes, many people might think that's enough for them. Um, but I think that's part of the difficulty here. And another part of the difficulty is understanding the, you know, the scope or significance of different developments. So how big a deal is it that these are federal crimes that are being placed right at the president's doorstep? And the prosecutors, I thought, actually were trying to engage in a form of public education in their mm -hmm. document in the SDNY, where they say things that are very um, easily accessible and kind of give the context of how important they think uh, what the allegations here amount to. And they say things that are, I think, just remarkable for Americans to hear, which is that 
they say things like, you know, these crimes are so severe, and that's why they should come with a heavy imprisonment. And they say things like, quote, sorry, they say things like that, that the campaign violations, quote, struck a blow to one of the core goals of the federal campaign finance laws, transparency, quote. And then they also say that Cohen, at the direction of Trump, quote, deceived the voting public by hiding alleged facts that he believed would have had a substantial effect on the election, end quote. So I think that's important. Um, and I think that was also what's lost uh, to some degree in the punditry back and forth and the spin as to how small and are these just process crimes or things like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very big deal what happened on Friday. Very big deal. It's a, it's a significant moment in history in terms of uh, the Justice Department saying what they said about their own president. All right. Well, uh, there's much more to come. Uh, and obviously, starting in January, uh, a lot of things change. Uh, the House leadership changes over and we'll have lots more to talk about. But we'll uh, pause for now. Ryan Goodman, uh, so great to talk to you. Founder, uh, founding co-editor in chief of Just Security, professor of law, uh, NYU School of Law, and served as former special counsel to the general counsel of the Department of Defense. Thanks for doing this today. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I'm going to say to you people who are listening, uh, what's going to happen right now is we're going to take a little break. Some very nice people are going to ask you to support public radio. If you support public radio during our show, well, it means to us anyway that you like in particular the kind of work that we're doing here, whether it's the kind of work we do today or on some of our more fanciful uh, days. Uh, And so if you would make the call uh, during our show, we'll get a little bit more credit for it. Uh, And then when we come back from that break, that break's only five minutes long, all right? So when we come back from that break, I'm going to take your phone calls. I'm not Ryan Goodman. I I won't have as many answers as he does. Uh, But if you want to just talk a little little bit, I mean, maybe even a little bit about your own anxieties as we go forward, as these stories unspool, or just the sheer difficulty of comprehending it all. I mean, it really, you could make it a full-time job and still probably not understand more than 75 to 80% of it. So we'll take a little break we'll come back meanwhile support the show support the station support the concept of public broadcasting it's a crazy world hey it's a crazy world one thing for sure it ain't never gonna change the hole we dig it is getting deeper every day it's a crazy So this is a little confusing. This is me again. But uh, what we're doing here uh, is doing a pledge break. We're asking you to pledge some money to the station. And we decided rather than having the nice people who usually come in here and do it, well, most of them are nice, right? <laughs> I mean, Carmen Baskoff can be a very tough cookie, but most of the people who do this are very nice. We thought we would have our entire staff come in here and all the people who work on the show come and talk to you about why it is we do what we do. And so while we're doing that, we're hoping that you will call in at what number, Betsy Kaplan? 1-800-584-2788 or go online at WNPR.org. Click the Donate Now button. Uh, and so let me tell you who's here. That was Betsy Kaplan, the senior producer of the show, Jonathan McNichol. Uh, one of the other producers is here. The 
new kid on the block, Scott Reedy, who's producing for us now and also producing for Wheelhouse and Where We Live, is here. And Golden Globe-nominated filmmaker Carlos Mejia is here. Your film of Betsy Kaplan brushing a dog's teeth is doing very well at the, on the festival circuit, I hear. I mean, all I did was hold the phone, so right. I don't think I was no, doing too he much. he did a lot. Yeah. He had to work very hard for that video. I would work on my acceptance speech, just in well, case you I, do win the Golden Globe. For, for me, there's a lot of people I need to thank. First, I just want to thank the Academy there you go. more than anyone <laughs> no, else. You don't do that at the Golden Globes. It's not the Academy. All right, and we also have, of course, uh, somewhere. We can't really see her right now, but she's like the voice of God. Uh, Kion Wolf is there somewhere. So I don't know. Maybe somebody pick up the ball here and just talk a little bit about why it is we do things the way that we do. I mean, Betsy, I'm going to have you start again just because you and I, in particular, well, got involved yeah. in starting this kind of Monday show. Yeah, so we should talk a little bit about the scramble since that's what people are listening to, and that may be what they like. Um, but we, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, right? And part of it was because... Often we would have a show scheduled for Monday and then something really bad or interesting would happen over the weekend. And one day Colin came in stamping his feet, complaining about how we had this show scheduled for Monday and we couldn't do what he really wanted to talk about. So we decided to leave Monday open and just do news from the weekend. Right? Does that? I was screaming. I was shouting. <laughs> Uh, it was terrible. I actually hit a couple of people's cars in the parking lot. <laughs> I was uh, not upset about it. But, you know, I mean, Jonathan McPants, what are the things we do here? And by the way, as we're talking about all this stuff, we're kind of hoping you're going to call in at 1-800-584-2788. There are really nice people there who are going to take your call. You can make a pledge, pledge $100, pledge, make a monthly gift, whatever it is you want to do, or go online at wnpr.org where you'll see all these wonderful things that you can get back. But I think it's fair to say one thing we do a lot is like say, how could we do the show differently, right? Right. And we've done a lot of different things with the scramble. It used to, originally it wasn't maybe as so purely newsy as it's been sort of in the Trump era. We've leaned towards calls some weeks to, to get the audience on the air talking back to us. Or sometimes it's three different experts in three different segments about three different things that happen over the weekend. So Scott, you just have, you recently started to produce this, these, some of these Monday shows. A any surprises for you about that? So I, would, I did the first one a week ago. And um, you were like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't Just don't spend your Sunday worrying about right. this stuff. We'll just start fresh on Monday morning. You'll line up and I'll line up some guests then and we'll go from there. And I was like, that just does not work for me because, you know, I'm like too nervous about things. Um, so on Sunday morning, I started like 10 o'clock and I had these people's cell phone numbers. Where it's the people at like the Slate.com and the Washington Post. And I was sort of expecting like, oh. You know, calling them and like getting them and like getting them screaming at me like, "Why are you interrupting my Sunday?" But <laughs> they they were all so pleasant and like appreciative to be on the show. So that was really cool to me. We built awesome. up some goodwill with these people. It did, yeah. And, and also, they don't get to take the weekends off. Um, right. So we just got a couple of minutes left, and I want to make sure that both Wolfie and Carlos get to get to talk. I don't know, Carlos, you're relatively new here at the station. Say something that will make uh, someone want to give a pledge based on what you've seen here. <laughs> I mean, I know Scott got the nickname has uh, the the new kid on the block, but I feel like I'm the newer kid on the block more yeah. than anything else just when you radio job and just seeing how you guys work behind the scenes and seeing how a show comes together very quickly i'm kind of like scott i'm working on a show co-producing a show with jonathan tomorrow and uh i'm sweating underneath all these clothes is what i'm getting at and it's a lot of hard work, and it's amazing just to right. see how much work actually goes into actually, everything. in real life, that show's already happened. But, uh, right, but we know right. what you're talking about. So, Wolfie, just, you can get us out. You've got the clock. Uh, so wrap up the break for us. Yeah, you're hearing from some people who work really, really hard in an industry that, uh, let's just say, your, your money goes a really long way here. And so when you make a pledge, uh, you're supporting the great work that these people do that get, it, get, that get everything to your earballs.
I'm going to edit that out. No, I'm not going to edit no, that out. No, don't edit it out. No, that's exactly <laughs> no, what we don't yeah. like that. We don't we want like you that. to. But anyway, the point is, I know we're preaching to the choir, but give us a call and support this amazing work with these very talented and hardworking people. That number is 1-800-584-2788 or wnpr.org slash donate. And, and thanks. And if you do have your balls, see your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely see your doctor. All right. So those pledge breaks are weird because we recorded them last week. So there's a way in which they sort of they depart from space and time or something. But I hope that you do find that maybe a uh, – I don't know. I wouldn't say better, but at least a kind of different way to listen to a pledge break. Listen to the people who actually work on the show, many of them people whose voices you don't hear. And then I do ask you to be generous in terms of supporting the show if it's important to you. All right. So we actually did do this kind of listener survey, uh, a Survey Monkey survey a while ago. And we, we asked – one of the questions we asked, one of the many questions we asked was how people liked the format where sometimes on Monday we dedicate all or part of the show to phone calls. Um, and the answer was pretty overwhelmingly positive about dedicating all or part of the show to phone calls. So that's what we're going to do right now. Um, there may be some risk attached to it. There may not be. Uh, the, <laughs> the risk would be if nobody called. Anyway, the, the number is 860 860- Two seven five seven two six six. We're going to be talking about. I have some specific questions for you about your relationship to the news of the Mueller investigation, the Trump presidential problems, generally speaking. So uh, I'm going to put those questions out. But you know, whatever it is that you need to say about that whole realm of news is fine with me. Eight six zero. Two seven five seven two six six. So I've decided that one of the most interesting things to me is uh, I'll put out some more substantive questions about the case itself in just a second, and maybe even some things that are not questions. But one of the things that's become interesting to me is how do people who are not in the news business and who are not professors of law and who don't have podcasts, or how do people who are just living their lives and consuming news, how do they follow this story? How do you get news about this story? I mean, do you feel as though you know, you have assembled kind of a reliable network of sources. It could be New York Times, Washington Post. It could be NPR. Uh, it could be Rachel. I find people just refer to her now by her first name. Um, it, or I, I don't know about anybody else. I often need kind of the hard stuff. <laughs> so there, there's certain little podcasts and things like that that I'll listen to. Although they like, for example, Lawfare is a place where you can really go and geek out about this stuff. Except that at Lawfare, they're very much policy nerds and policy wonks, and and this case is not the only thing that they're studying. So when they do a comprehensive podcast about the Mueller investigations or the state of the Justice Department kind of uh, post. Uh, or, or the state of the just yeah post Jeff Sessions, um, it's really comprehensive. It's really good. Sometimes I'll listen to it twice because I learn so much, but they don't do it often enough to keep me happy. So I'm curious to know, first of all, how people manage to follow such an incredibly complicated story, or do you ultimately just decide you can't follow the story? Uh, but I also want to talk to you about a wide range of stuff. In fact, I see I'm going to put out some of my ideas out here. But I see Adam from New Milford is up on the board right now already. He called 860-275-7266. Let's see what he wants to say. Hi, Adam. You're on the air. Hi. So my my question was, as a liberal-leaning listener, uh, do we really want Trump to be possibly impeached and have Mike Pence president? 
you know, and also what are the odds that if he does get impeached, we'll see kind of like what we did with Nixon, where he ends up being pardoned by the VP. So uh, obviously we want justice. We don't want a president who can do whatever they want. But, you know, do we risk having a possibly worse president for half the country that didn't vote for Trump with uh, Mike Pence in office? Is there a strategy to possibly waiting to see what Mueller has to say before possibly, you know, moving on a sort of impeachment proceedings? Right. I think it's a great question. I sense in the wording and intonation of your question, Adam, that you you doubt very much that impeachment, at least as currently understood, would be the most worthwhile way of approaching this situation. Or am I am I imputing too much to you? No, it's true. I feel like Trump can kind of get away with whatever he wants to get away with if he does get impeached, because, again, he could possibly just be pardoned where if he loses the second you know, election in 2020 and then an indictment comes down, first of all, the American people get to speak again and hopefully popular vote him out because, again, remember, Hillary did win the popular vote. And then we get to vote him out. Um, and then in 2020, Mueller gets to come down and, and actually you know, enforce the law on him and, and hopefully not have a situation where the um, Republican president can just part him and sort of let him get away with his crimes. Right. Okay, so this is a great question and a great point. Um, I, I'm just going to um, pop you on hold or, or maybe just drop the call and just talk about this for a second, but I think you raised some really interesting stuff. Um, first of all, I would agree. I mean, I, let me say first of all, the first thing you have to do when you think about this stuff, and we don't do this very often, is think, what are my real goals as an American citizen in this situation? What do I really want? Do I want the country to be as healthy as it could possibly be? Uh, or do I want to, what, I want, do I specifically want this jerk in the White House to, you know, pay for everything that he's done so far? Uh, like, which is more important to me? Um, and th- those two goals are not irreconcilable either, but you have to sort of think about them anyway. Um, if your main goal is to punish Trump, then every possible form of punishment is on the table. And if, you're, if your main goal is to get him out of office, then impeachment is probably your fastest road, if that road could be traveled. But as Adam suggests, if you are doing that at least partly for policy reasons, all you're going to get out of that pro- process is President Mike uh, Pence, who will be more dignified um, and less wantonly inappropriate and probably carry less potentially criminal baggage with him. But he won't do any of the things you want him to do if you're left of center. OK, so uh, that's all pretty obvious. So let's just park that for a second. I, I think impeachment's sort of a bad idea. I, I think it's going to be tough for the country to go through. Uh, you also can't do it if you don't have the numbers. And you, in the Senate right now, there aren't even remotely close to the numbers you would need to do impeachment. So you can't do it if you don't have the numbers or if you don't have sufficient uh, flips on the Republican side in the Senate, enough so that you could get a, a vote to convict. Unless all you want is impeachment. Impeachment, of course, is sort of the first uh, of two steps. Um, so I actually think that there's probably 
just technically, if you just, you know, I, I, one recent interview that I would recommend listening to uh, is Elizabeth Holtzman, a former um, member of Congress. Uh, she was on one of our favorite shows, The Gist with Mike Pesca on Slate, the podcast, sometime last week, I think. And she's got a new book out about impeachment. She also just has been through impeachments. She makes a pretty persuasive case that, you know, in terms of what you need to do an impeachment, it's already there. Uh, like legally, technically. But of course, impeachment isn't, strictly speaking, only a legal or technical process. It's a political process. It's one that requires a massing of public will. So, eh, you know, there it gets a lot more complicated. I also want to say we're going to continue to um, take phone calls here. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. I think everybody has, and I'd love to hear, A, yeah, how are you following this story? And B, what, is, what are you, I think everybody has sort of different scenarios in their heads. Like Adam has just sort of laid one out. Im- impeachment, but you don't get what you want. You know, um, or impeachment and the best possible things that could happen for the country don't happen. So that's number one. Num- number two, you know, might be a very different kind of scenario. Uh, my guess is, and Adam kind of alluded to this too, in a way, a lot really does depend on the 2020 elections. Assuming that President Trump seeks re-election, and he probably will, particularly if some of these criminal charges within the Mueller operation begin developing in a certain way, uh, because your strongest—I have covered a lot of politicians who are in trouble for political corruption uh, at the mayoral level and the gubernatorial level, and not really at the presidential level. I mean, I've you know stood back and beheld what was happening there. But watching them at the gubernatorial and mayoral level, I always think the more power you have, the more you have available to trade. So when you see a politician who's really under the gun, a governor or a mayor or something like that, who's really under the gun, and you wonder, why hasn't this person resigned already? Resigning would you know, take so much of the light and heat off this person. Well, part of the answer is, part of the answer is that this person doesn't want to give up any of the power because the power gives you a little bit of an uh, um, ability to affect some of the ways that an investigation might go or a process in a legislative body might go. But it's also the thing you have to trade. You, you If you haven't traded it yet, then you don't want to give it up. Um, so I would imagine that he's going to seek re-election in 2020, and it's going to be really important. And, I mean, the other thing that he could do is not seek re-election and exercise his pardon power. Remember, the pardon power can be exercised you know, even after a November 2020 election. He's still president until the new president gets sworn in, and presidents do all this all the time. They you know, just hand out you know, late, late pardons and commutations and stuff like that. He can pardon people like crazy. A thing to remember is not everybody can be pardoned. There are people, at least as far as we, the way that we understand it, there are people who have been given immunity who therefore can't be pardoned because they've already been given immunity. They can't be charged. They also can't claim the Fifth Amendment because they've been given immunity. And that would be the case, it appears, for example, for the chief financial officer of the Trump administration. He has been given, as I understand it, blanket immunity which makes it hard for him to take the fifth, also makes it hard to pardon him. You're not charged with anything. Um, watch that happen. The, the immunities that are given out, 
I mean, there's sort of two ways to get to compel testimony from somebody. One of them is the way that you've seen with Flynn and Manafort and Cohen. You get them. You get them. You grab them. <laughs> you grab them with whatever potential criminal charges you can. You grab them by the elbow and you pinch really hard. Uh, and you see what they'll give you in order to get a better deal. But the other way you can compel testimony is to not charge people with anything and to make sure that they can't be charged with anything. And then it becomes much harder. I think Susan McDougall, for example, in the Clinton cases, I'm pretty sure she had immunity. It's one of the reasons she went to prison, because she still wouldn't testify. Uh, and you can't take the fifth. You can't refuse to testify on that basis if you have immunity. All right. Our number is 860-275-7266. If I want, uh, before I take David, I want to point out two interesting linguistic developments of today. Every day brings new linguistic t- uh, developments. So we have the word smocking. Uh, earlier today, President Trump Uh, in a tweet. And he did this twice in the same tweet, which indicates that he does think that there is such a thing as a smocking gun. He said, there's no smocking gun, no smocking gun, S-M-O-C-K-I-N-G. So it's possible that we have a president who does not know how to spell the word smoking, or he's inventing a new word. You can never really tell. Or he wants us to talk about smocking instead of talking about stuff he doesn't want us to talk about. Uh, And the other linguistic development is that Glenn Kessler, uh, who leads the fact-check organization of the Washington Post, which is one of the three or four, depending on whether or not you count Snopes, one of the three or four major fact-checking operations in the country. Uh, They're the ones who rate based on Pinocchios, one, two, three Pinocchios. Four Pinocchios was the worst. As of today, he has introduced bottomless Pinocchio, a bottomless Pinocchio rating. And what that is, is first of all, I think Glenn might be losing his mind uh, under these circumstances, but also it's for situations in which a lie has just been repeated and repeated and repeated and resists fact-checking because the person who's telling it doesn't care that he or she is being fact-checked. And so that person, that statement can now get a bottomless Pinocchio. It's like a whole new kind of lie. All right, let me grab a call from David, and then we're going to take a quick break uh, just to do credits. We'll come back. We'll talk some more. Here's David in Hamden. Hi. Hi, Colin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. The only, this is just a comment. I've lived in the New York media market for a long time, and I've heard Howard Stern and Don Imus have <clears throat> Donald Trump on the phone. Um, and I think we all here know what this person is really like. And I, I just hope that now what's unfolding, maybe there will be a little bit of a comeuppance and that the rest of the country or his base might really come to understand what this guy's really about. All right. Well, there's a lot to say about that. But actually, I need to take a very quick break here, and then we will come back. We'll wrap up our conversation. So here we go. If you're lying on the beach with the transistor going, kick off the sand, flies, honey, the love's still flowing. If it says forget it, but your heart's still smoking, call me at the station. If there's no smocking gun, does that mean that everything's ocky-docky, or is there a chance that Trump might crock from a strock? Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish pre-ordered her tickets for the first 14 screenings of Aquaman. The part of Bill Curry was played by Bottomless Pinocchio. Tomorrow, a show about Vice, and Wednesday, another live visit from Jill Sobule, who's back in town to perform in the Twain House Library. And now, back to Colin. Yes, Jill Sobule 
who we can't call her the best guest we ever had because that would hurt the feelings of our many other guests. But she could be, actually. And uh, so what we like to do is bring her in studio and essentially let her do whatever she wants to do. And she'll be performing at the Twain House in their library. I believe it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. Um, so uh, so get your tickets. Um, particularly get buy a lot of tickets for Tuesday because we want her to be in a really good mood when she starts up here on Wednesday. She's also in a pretty good mood anyway. Uh, so that's what because we, we'll, on Wednesday's show will just be me and J- Jill and whatever Jill wants to do, which is usually pretty much fun and funny. All right, here is Peter in Middle Haddam. Hi, Peter. Hello. You're on uh, the air. I just wanted to yeah. point out uh, two uh, facts, one of which is if Trump were to accept a pardon, uh, that is an admission of guilt. Is it though? I mean, because I, 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 the the constitutional power of pardon is pretty pervasive. I, I, I'm not sure that it is an you, admission. You of can pardon, yeah, you can yeah. pardon them, but it is still an admission. You can't pardon where there wasn't a crime mm-hmm. committed. So to accept a pardon is to uh, admit that you have committed a crime. All right. What's your What's your second point? I'm, the second point is that should. Pence decide to pardon our fearless leader, that only relates to federal crimes. Mm -hmm. And so in all the various states that he's committed crimes that will apply, he can still be uh, prosecuted in every state that uh, they've committed crimes. That is absolutely absolutely the case. And and I wouldn't be surprised to see. I, I mean, first of all, I'm not sure that you, anybody can reliably assume that Mike Pence is going to pardon Donald Trump. And Donald Trump also may try to pardon himself. That's like almost a theological question, whether you can do that or not. I'm also not 100% sure that we can legitimately say that anybody who accepts a pardon has admitted guilt. Uh, I will research that and um, and bring back some answers on it. Um, pardon is one of these powers, however, that is you know, not very, it's almost in, uh, illimitable. Uh, it, it's, there are very few limits placed on, on it and how it can be used. So uh, so we'll see. I guess we'll see. That's the answer to that. Um, one thing that I want to say, I didn't get any answers to my question, how do people follow this? I should have just made everybody who calls in tell me, how do you follow this story? What is the tool? What are the tools that you're using journal- journalistically or otherwise to follow this story? Um, one thing that I will recommend, and it's like a hard thing. It's so hard to recommend BuzzFeed to anybody because, you know, you get on the homepage of BuzzFeed and it's all cats and Kardashians and like worse, worse things than cats and Kardashians. Um, but, I mean, if you can sort of get past that presentation, BuzzFeed's uh, investigative staff is pretty amazing. And so if you go back, I actually do think everybody has their own little theory about this, what this case is really going to be about, what's, what is what is really going to come down to in terms of maybe the most impeachable offenses or the most imprisonable offenses or the most egregious offenses. My personal working theory is that it is about the Trump Moscow Tower and it's about the money. It's about where the money was going to come from and how the money was going to come back. And if you want to read a really good piece, uh, I think the guys who really have this, who really understand this, are these two BuzzFeed writers, Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold. And their reporting on this has been stellar. Um, so what you want to look for, somehow or other you have to sweep away all those cats and Kardashians at BuzzFeed and look for a piece. It came out in May called Trump Moscow, the definitive story of how Trump's team worked the Russian deal during the campaign. There's a lot of stuff 
in that story that now is just coming out in some of the uh, charging documents and sentencing documents and, and indictments. I mean, they, they've sort of had a lot of this stuff for a while. They are really, really good reporters. All right. So that music means that we're almost out of time. So let me just quickly say thanks to everybody who helped out today. Um, always let us know if you like the way we're doing things, if you like these kinds of shows. We've got a one-week pledge campaign right here at the station, which means that people are going to talk to you about supporting the show in just a couple of seconds. I should say, as a kind of an experiment we're trying, for three of the five days this week, the people who talk to you in these little breaks, like in the one that's coming up, will be us in a pre-recorded thing. We just thought it would be better if we ourselves, the producers and host of the show, tried to explain to you what the heck it is we're doing and well, why you should support it. We'll back to our final break. We have about three minutes to convince you to uh, support WNPR at 1-800-584-2788 if you like what you've just been listening to. I feel a little bit under the pressure here because we're doing our breaks a little bit different than we've done them before. I'm here in the studio with Colin and Carlos and Scott and Jonathan, uh, who you heard if you were listening to the show earlier. So I'm and, gonna, and Wolfie. And Wolfie. I'm yeah, sorry, Wolfie. Yeah. That's okay. So I'm gonna, the room. Is there any way we <laughs> can make you feel even more pressure? Yeah, so this I would is like me. to do that. No, this is, <laughs> this is good. And this is my life. Do you understand what I go through? <laughs> so now I'm going to turn it over to somebody else. Anybody, pick it up. Well, let me just quickly reiterate the uh, phone number, 1-800-584-2788. If you like what you just heard and you like the kind of creativity that we're trying to do here, uh, call 1-800-584-2788. Make us a nice pledge. We would really appreciate that. Kind of, We get credit for it, too. Or go online, wnpr.org slash donate. You can do it uh, that way. You know, one thing we did recently is we did a survey uh, we, of some of the listeners to the show. Uh, Jonathan, what did we discover from the survey? Mostly that you talk too much and yeah. you talk too quickly. <laughs> right. Pe- that, and that we're was, experiencing right now in the room. Here. And you mumble. Right. Yeah. Never did you mumble. People hate me also. It was very painful. <laughs> <laughs> they love you too. They love you too. Don't forget. They love you until they hate you. Yeah. And, and we traced most of those replies back to the Connecticut Public Board of Directors. So <laughs> I'm not sure the listeners have really weighed, weighed in. But actually, Carlos, you kind of went through the survey. I don't Anything jump out at you about sort of you know, how people react to us? I, I mean, I, for me, the biggest takeaway was – uh, the engagement and just people were willing to sit down and, and spend eight minutes of their time just to tell us what they think about us. And that's a really big takeaway. And and if you didn't fill out the survey now, you know, don't feel too bad. Too late. Yeah, it's, it's too late. But, you know, you could still donate now. And, and when you call the number and you talk yeah. to a real human being, you can tell them what you think then. We, we see everything that, that if you if you have any secrets or any sort of confessions when you call and make a pledge at 1-800-584-2788. We see everything. So if you yeah. didn't get to do that survey, you can still tell us what you think of and the show. send us your complaints about Colin. That's yeah. what we particularly <laughs> like. I like the idea of secrets, too. Call our pledges $30 a month and killed the guy in (laughs) Wichita Falls uh, 20 years ago. All right. So, Scott, give us the phone number one more time. Scott's new to this, so we're having him practice the phone number. Sure. It is 1-800-584-2788, or you can go on WNPR.org. Perfect. I have right. this theory, I have yeah. this theory yeah. that if anybody's listening, that when you listen to this show or you listen to the station during fund ra- the fund drives, if you can say the number along with us, then you should probably be a member. Yeah. I think that's fair. So we can try it together. Is everybody ready? All yes. Right, let's do it. 1-800-584-2788. That sounds kind of churchy. Yeah, I know, yeah, right? It's scary. <laughs> it's a little terrifying. Well, we are passing the collection plate after that's all. That's right. we got about 10 seconds left of the show. If you call now, that sends a message to the people who write our paychecks. 1-800-584-2788. And thank you so very much.